Amen. Well, good morning. How many are thankful for the presence of God that you felt in the place this morning? Can you give Jesus a hand? He's worthy. Well, my name is Joe. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I would love to get to know you a little bit. It's my privilege to serve as lead pastor here at New Freedom Church. And uh, what a wonderful body of believers that this is. And uh, what God is doing here just uh, continues to amaze and astound me. This morning, uh, before we get into the message, we have the privilege of doing one of my favorite things, probably my, my favorite pastoral um, uh, opportunity or privilege is uh, baptism. I love uh, when we see that new life, that new birth happen. Uh, but maybe a close second is when we have an opportunity that parents would entrust us enough that they would say, we want the congregation of New Freedom Church to witness the dedication of our children. And today we're going to, bat, we're uh, not going to baptize, we're going to dedicate um, cousins. We're actually going to dedicate uh, two babies, a double uh, dedication this morning. And so I'm going to ask if uh, uh, Colton and Addison and Zach and Whitney, if you'll bring uh, Ty and Memphis down here and you'll stand right in front of the stage. We'll give them a minute as the, the parents gather their young'uns. If you guys will just uh, turn and, and face the congregation. Stand right here in the middle, if you would. Stand right there in the middle. Turn and face the congregation. You're tall enough, Colton. Don't be stepping up there. So I was thinking about this dedication today, and I was thinking about cousins. These, these are cousins. And uh, I was thinking about my cousins. Uh, you know, growing up, I had uh, some really close cousins. And my cousins were the ones that I collaborated with. They were the ones that I uh, conspired with. They were the ones that we uh, excluded other people in the neighborhood from, and we included just our little group. My cousins were the ones that I fought with, and I bickered and complained and argued with. I'm sorry, Addison Whitney, if I'm describing your, 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 your upbringing there. But my cousins were the ones that were almost like siblings. They just felt so, so close. I could always go to them. You know, Jesus had a cousin. His name was John the Baptist. And these cousins had such a, a dynamic between them that uh, one ministry announced another ministry. And we see in the scripture that there's such a close connection between them. And when I was uh, thinking about Ty and Memphis today, about, about dedicating them, I was thinking about the relationship that these parents want them to have and this family wants them to have as they come together. And so what you're going to be impressed with in just a moment is you're going to be impressed with just the core strength of community and family and friends that these two cousins are gonna have in their upbringing. So I'm gonna ask everybody who's a friend or a family member that has come especially today for this dedication to join us up here. You can come in the side wings. I want all the family and friends to come because I want you to get a, a real front row seat of this dedication. and Addison, Zach and Whitney, if you'll turn this way and face me for just a minute. By the way, next week we have a very special thing we're going to follow up with with the children. And the week after that, we've got another little tiny thing. So just, we'll probably keep that going for about six or seven weeks to so just clear your schedule. All joking aside, we uh, are privileged this morning to be able to present Ty and Memphis with their very first baby Bible. This is from New Freedom Church. So this is from New Freedom to you. I'll give this down here so you guys can see. And because they will not be able to remember this day, um, you'll have to remind them of it. We have a dedication certificate for Ty and one for Memphis. You can record that. And most importantly, if you look around, this is amazing, the support structure that these children have. You know, not all kids have this kind of opportunity to have those that are cheering them on, but they have a step out and a step up in life. And so when we dedicate them, we're going to not just dedicate these children, but this is actually a parent dedication today because the parents are saying, 
to this entire congregation and to this family that they have chosen to train their children in the godly heritage that would give them the faith and the core uh, strength and values needed and necessary that when they get to the age of ability to choose for themselves, they'll choose to follow Jesus. Let me just say that today, Colton and Addison, Zach and Whitney, you have requested to dedicate Memphis and Ty to the Lord Jesus Christ. In so doing, you are symbolically recognizing that first and foremost, these boys are a gift from God and they're only given to you on loan for a time. As parents, there are many choices that you have to make for children because they simply lack the ability or comprehension to do so for themselves. You pick out their clothes, their food, and their entertainment. You'll choose their education, their transportation, and their supervision. And so today, by coming forward in this service, you're choosing that they would be raised in the fear and admonition of God, but not just any God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, New Freedom Church, as a congregation and a body of believers, pray and we believe that when they are able to choose for themselves, they'll have the foundation of faith needed and the core convictions necessary to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. As their parents, you've accepted the responsibility to raise and care for both physical and spiritual needs. And in this dedication today, this entire extended family and friends accept the high calling of providing an atmosphere whereby Memphis and Ty can grow in the Lord and be nurtured in faith. First Samuel 1 says, For this child I have prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I have asked. Therefore, I have also lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped there. You see, this is an act of worship. In Luke, Luke 18 and 16, Jesus said, as he called the children to himself, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of God. Now, if they'll let me, I'm gonna to try to hold both of them here. <laughs> just come close and we're gonna pray a prayer. Family, if you'll just reach your hands out this way. See if I can get this here too. Yeah, that's pretty good, look at that. Father, I thank you for this privilege and opportunity that we get to bring Memphis and Ty to you before this congregation and before your throne, asking that you would bless them. God, I pray right now as I lay my hands on them that you would anoint their lives, that their callings would be revealed to them even from a very young age, and that they would have the faith and confidence to trust you all of their days, that they would put their hope and their heart towards you and incline themselves to do what you have called them for. God, equip this, these parents and this family to be able to direct their paths and to show them the light of Christ. We thank you for such a great gathering and support, and we know that you will do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm batting one for one. <laughs> Love you guys. I'll stay out. Did good, right? Amen. Pages of Life. We have been in a series over the last couple of weeks on uh, a certain section in the book of Psalms. We've been looking at 15 different Psalms, Psalms 120 through 134. We're going to cover half of those here now in this part of the year and then half later on in the year. And today we're in Psalm 122. The book of Psalms is the Old Testament collection of both songs and poems and prayers. And taken all together, they are what we would refer to as the prayer book and the song book of Jesus. Many of these psalms uh, that we're going to look at, these are songs of ascent. They were going up to Jerusalem to worship. It's kind of hearkening back to the song we sang a minute ago, this is my song of ascent. Well, anytime you would travel to Jerusalem, you couldn't get there without going uphill because Jerusalem sits at the top of a mountain. And so as they're ascending up that mountain, they were rehearsing the songs that they had learned from their childhood and they're singing these praises unto God. And it's very meaningful what they were saying because they were getting ready to worship. And they would have probably committed most of these 15 psalms to heart and memory. This was something that they had rehearsed so often that they just completely had it ingrained and they just knew 
what these songs were. Now, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, kind of a child of the 90s, and so you can relate to this if, if you uh, have these anthem songs that you grew up listening to in the car, that when one of them plays, it's just like the whole flood of memories come back, and you can sing along like, I haven't heard that song for 15 years, but it just comes flooding right back. You ever been there? And so we commit things to, to memory, and we commit them to our heart mainly by repetition, and, and maybe it brings back and elicits a feeling, emotion, a, a memory of, of what that was like. And so this particular song, 122, is about a person who decided, it was a decision, it was an act of their own volition, they decided they're going to get up and they're going to go to church. And I'm looking at a whole bunch of people this morning that decided that you're going to get up and you're going to go to church. And so this psalm will speak to every single one of us. Psalm 122, there's nine verses, I'm going to read them all. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. There are many reasons why we as Christian believers should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And that is both the geographic location in Israel, that we should pray for that city and for all that God has done and continues to do and plans to do in the future in that city. And, and so there's a, there's a lot of ramifications for a, a Christ follower about the city of Jerusalem. But in this day, and, and kind of for the context of the message today, I want us to think of Jerusalem as not just a city with uh, stone walls and, and roads and buildings. I want us to think of Jerusalem as the heart of a worshiper, the place where you would go to meet with God. This is where Jerusalem is for the, the believer in Jesus every single week. We can't travel to the city of Jerusalem to worship God every single week, but we can have a place where we symbolize our worship, a place where we go. And so Jerusalem is that place where we go. This psalm is, is written by someone who said, I'm going to go to that place. We might call it the church, but he called it Jerusalem. And so this is the place where we go to worship God. Now, when I think back about the places that I have been to worship God, I go back into my mind's eye to my childhood being raised in a, a very traditional kind of a church setting. One of the churches that I was raised in, I remember, had uh, floor-to-ceiling windows and lots of sunlight would come in. One had some stained glass in, in, in one particular place in the church. And so when I see stained glass to this day, it elicits back a memory to me of my childhood. It's a fond memory of a place that I remember going as a child to worship the Lord. When I, th- I think of, of floor-to-ceiling windows with light coming in, it's, it's a, a kind of a memory that I hearken back to that I have been in that place to worship God. And I think that worship has so much to do with our preferences and probably with what we've been exposed to that it's okay to desire a certain thing or a certain like or a certain style of worship. That's completely okay. We should have those preferences. It's okay to exercise those. It's like someone asked me one time, "Uh, Joe, what kind of church do you pastor? Uh, Do you like the slow songs or the fast ones? Do you like the old ones or the new ones? Do you like it in a dark room or a lit room? Do you you like it as a young crowd or an old crowd? Do do you like it if it's fast or if it's slow? Do you kind of get a little charismatic or are you guys reserved? And my answer is, yes, I like it all because God likes it all. Because we don't serve this monolithic God that just is one narrow way and you got to do it this way. And if you step out of that way, you do it wrong. The way that we worship the Lord here at New Freedom isn't right or wrong. It's just us. It's how we identify. It's what we are are trying to express ourselves in worship to the Lord. And and so our preferences are completely okay to uh, express ourselves in worship. One of the the places I love visiting the most is the hills of... uh, uh, mountains, actually, of Asheville, North Carolina. If you're ever driving down I-40 and you have a, about an extra 45 to minutes to an hour and a half, you just need to pull into the Billy Graham Cove and Library, and you need to go into the chapel there. The Gelato's Chapel is open 9 to 5. You can go there any day of the week, Monday through Friday. It's free to go in. You just pull off right at 40 there, and you can go in. And when you get through the gates of that property, you will feel a difference in the presence because you have come onto holy ground. 
when you go into that chapel, floor to ceiling windows, just like I remember as a boy, light coming in. Maybe it would seat 150 people with hardwood and hardwood pews. And it has such a surreal reverence about it that I can sit back, no songs are being played, no messages being preached, and I can feel the presence of God. It's so rich, it's so inviting, it's so invigorating. Now, it's not what I experience every single week in my worship setup because this is what I experience most weeks, but I feel the presence of God. And so we have to get away from the presence of God in worship just simply being a building. Look around this building. This, this building isn't particularly pretty. This was a gymnasium. This was never built to be a, a temple or edifice of, of worship for God. It was really built as an activity center for families, and they did upper basketball here for years. But if you look closely, with some intentionality and with some focus, you can see elements of worship all around this gymnasium. Just cast your eyes right back here to the door you came in. Most of you came in. Most of you walked under the foot of the cross. The cross is an emblem, get this, of suffering and shame. In the first century world, the cross was something that was so despised by the world. To die on a cross meant that you were of lowly stature, that you didn't even have the right citizenship or background that you could have a a legitimate death. You would die on a cross because you were either a criminal or a fool. It was despised to die on a cross. Yet our Savior, Jesus, the King of glory, came to this earth, the maker of heaven and earth. He came here. He humbled himself like a man. He walked on this earth sinless for 33 and a half years. He died a criminal's death. And on the third day, he rose again. And it all happened at the foot of the cross. So the cross is an emblem for me and for Christ followers around the world of victory. The cross is an emblem of worship. I look around this room and there's some other uh, symbols of worship. And you may not really notice this, but over here, there is this little container with some cloths in it. Now, there's nothing special about these cloths. We just cut up some, some pieces of cloth. And, and this is anointing oil. We probably bought that at Kroger. It's olive oil. It was like $11.99. But when prayed over and when applied in a worship setting, we go to James chapter 5 that says, if there are any sick among you, Let them call for the elders of the church. Now, that's just not people in a position of authority because they've been given a title. An elder of the church is someone who has walked the road of faith, who who has the prayer of faith that believes that God can move mountains. If anyone is sick among them, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Paul the apostle, while he couldn't go to every person to lay hands on them, it says that Paul would rip off pieces of his clothing, his garments, and handkerchiefs and aprons would be sent out from Paul, and they would go to those who were sick, and it was a point of contact. It was a, it was a uplift in their spirit to know someone has prayed for them, and when they would receive that cloth, it's not that there's anything magical about the piece of cloth. There's nothing magical about the oil, but it is a contact between me and heaven. It is a contact that someone has stood in the gap and prayed for you. When I come into a place of worship like this, this altar, this entire space up front, this is a thing of God. Even in a gymnasium, this is an act of worship. When I come and I kneel before the Lord, which, by the way, if you just want a new freedom, if you kneel right here, this is padded and it's carpeted. If you kneel right here, it's pretty hard on the knees, okay? Just, just you should know that. But if you kneel right here, it's also easier to get up. But when I kneel at this altar, this is a thing of God. It is an act of worship. I, I can worship God from my seat, just like you. But something activates differently when I connect with God by coming forward and I surrender myself to God. Why? Because at an altar, that's where something was brought as a sacrifice. Go back and study the Old Testament. And when they brought their offering to the Lord, first they had to pass through that outer court, and there was an altar. The altar was where something came to be sacrificed, and the sacrifice was living when it was offered, and it died at the altar. And so when I come to the altar on Sunday morning, what I'm doing is I'm saying, God, there are some things that are living in my life. There are some things living in my mind. There are some things raging on the inside of me that I need to bring to you, and they need to die that I might resurrect and live in you that I might have newness of life again. There are some things I need to give to the Lord at the altar. There are some thoughts and imaginations and strongholds and high things that I lay down at the altar. You should never, ever fear coming to the altar. I remember sitting for years under the Sunday school teaching of Sister Bernice Gosney. 
Many of you know that name around this area. She was a faithful saint of God. Served the Lord for many, many years. And I was in her Sunday school class. I had the, the privilege of knowing that great lady before she went to home to be with the Lord. And I remember her saying this. She would always address the congregation as children. Well, when you're 90, everybody's a child. She said, children, there's been a many time I've had to walk that aisle and come down to the altar even after saying yes to Jesus. And there's been many a time I've needed to come down. See, see, people are afraid to come to the altar. They, well, they're going to think I've been sinning all week. That's okay. They already think it anyway. Just read their social media. They're talking about you all bad anyway. They already think you're doing that. By the way, I just got a bone to pick with some of you all on social media. I have just about lost my faith in humanity. I just joined this, this past year, okay? I, I just got into this game late. I'm a latecomer. I can post something philosophically, spiritually uplifting, just knowing that people are going to be so ministered by this. And about 50 of you give me one of these. I can post something so silly, me getting in pain, getting wax ripped off my face, and I get hundreds of people like, ah, that's so funny. Y'all are sadists. You like pain. You like to see other people in pain. I got your number. But worship is not about our environment, though environment is very important in worship. Worship has to do with the things that we surround ourselves with that connect us to God. This Bible is a thing for me, a thing of God. Now, I don't need to bring this book in this room. My phone has a Bible on it, and I have most of my verses written right here so that I can just turn the page and get to them. But for me, this book is precious. This book is powerful. This book is mighty. It's like like Noah said a minute ago, Pastor Noah said that, that this book is living. This book, when you read it, ends up reading you. This book is living and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It doesn't just have one edge, it has two. Why does it have a two-edged sword? Because it pierces as it goes in and it cuts healing as it comes out. This Bible, to me, is a thing of God. In the back of our room, in the back of the sanctuary, every single Sunday during worship or after worship, during the time we're singing, you can feel free to walk back there and there is a table of communion, the body and the blood of Jesus that you can partake every single week if you choose to. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. The songs that we sing, they are worship. The prayers that we pray, they are worship. The lives that we live, they are worship. So, Pastor Noah, get a microphone. Do we have any more light? Can we get any more light in the house? Are we on dim? I want you to go right back here. Grandma Shuts is right back here. Take that microphone. If you can pan the camera over here. Grandma, can you, can you stand up? This is Grandma Shuts. She'll turn 91 this year, but I didn't tell you how old she is. When I was three years old in our little Pentecostal church in Clarksville, we had one of them shouting services. Anybody ever been in a shouting service? I mean, you're getting on with Jesus, okay? I was three years old, and they were shouting. They were having a good time, and I got excited. I started running around the church, and Grandma Shuts told me that several years ago, she said, I wrapped you up so quick, and I was going to correct you because you were running all around the church. And she said, as soon as I picked you up, the Spirit of the Lord quickened me and said, let him go. He's praising me. The woman hears from God. I want, I want to tell you something else that is a thing of God, and that is the testimony of the saints. I didn't tell her I was going to do this, but she's instant in season, I can tell you. Grandma, testify. Testify for us. Yeah. Well, I just thank the good Lord for Joe, and uh, I thank him. Thank the Lord for everything he's done for me since I've been a Christian. I was saved in 1950 at Cash Amortis Church at Mulberry Street. I remember it as if it was yesterday. And it was in August 1950 when I gave my heart to the Lord. I've not been perfect, and I'm still not perfect. The only time I'll be perfect is when I get to heaven. And I'm looking forward to that day, and I thank him for every day he gives me because he's perfect. Koko Mahasai. I thought you'd come on, Aki. Koko Mahasai. 
Oh, I praise his holy name forever. He's been wonderful to me. I could stand here and tell you things. Well, it's been, what, 68 years my husband and I have been married. We would have been married 69 years. He passed away last year. And to me, that was the hardest thing that I ever had to face in my life was losing the one that I loved more as much as I did Jesus with him. And I think about him every day. There's not a day goes by that I don't think of him. But I just thank God for the years that we've had together because uh, I prayed for him for 30-some years before he ever accepted the Lord. But I was faithful, not only to him but to God. And 30-some years, God saved his soul. And when he passed away, he knew the Lord as his Savior. And to me, that was worth everything that I had to go through. Because children, let me tell you, it's worth it all to serve the Lord. You could never serve anybody any better in this life than the Lord. And I've been through lots of things. I lost a son and at the age of 66 at Christmas Day. And every Christmas I think of him. And uh, he accepted the Lord as his Savior before he passed away. I thank God for every one of my children that have come to the Lord. And I still have some that's out there, but I'm looking for them to come in any time. And it may not be in my time, but I know that God's faithful and he's going to bring them in. Thank you, Pearl Corvassi. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So when I've been praying three weeks, I think, God, why haven't you showed up yet? I can't think of anything I've prayed for over 30 years. I think we got some patience to work in, right? Amen. So why do we worship? Why do we do it? Why do we worship? What is this all about? Well, there is a reason for this because people reveal what they really value when they do what they don't have to do with volition when they do it willingly, when they do it just because on the inside there is a want to and a desire, not an outside external have to. Number one, worship provides a workable structure for life. This is what it talks about when it says Jerusalem is a compacted city. It is, is unified, it is built together. Some translations say it is fitted together in such a way that it cannot be altered, it cannot be broken. When we come to worship, the structure of life that it provides is it does this. It, number one, it, it acknowledges that God is our creator. When we come to worship, what we're saying is, God, if you didn't exhale, I couldn't inhale. God, if you hadn't let the sun come up, I wouldn't have another day. God, if you didn't give me breath in my body, I wouldn't be able to breathe. If you didn't give me strength in my bones, I wouldn't be able to get up. God is my creator. God knows you better than anyone on this earth knows you. God is intimately acquainted with all of your ways, all of your thoughts, and all your hearts. And here's the good news. Even though he knows you that well, he still loves you. He chose you before the foundation of the earth to be born in him. And he is calling every single day to us. He is hearkening his word to us every single day. And so we come to worship with this foundational truth that, God, you created me. But then it builds because it goes to the next level. God, you redeemed me. You bought me back with a price. I, when I was lost and undone without God or his son, he reached way down and he rescued me. And when God reached down to rescue me, let me tell you, he had to pass up quite a few to get to me. And thank God it wasn't that first time that I said yes or that second time that I heard the message or the third time somebody said, well, do, pastor, do you think that someone deserves to hear the gospel twice before the whole world hears it once? And I said, good God, I believe so because I think that I said no five, six, seven, probably a hundred times before I finally said yes. And I thank God for his mercy that he sent his son to redeem me while I was yet in my sin. That's when he loved me. And that's when he loved you. It's that foundational level that he not only created me, he redeemed me. But then there's another step in worship, and that's this. It talks about bringing our thanksgiving unto God. You have to make a choice today. Are you going to be humbly grateful for what God has done in your life? Or are you going to be grumbly hateful for everything that happens to you in life? The choice is yours. And a life of thanksgiving is one of worship unto God. God, you made me. God, you redeemed me. And God, you provide for me. 
See, we get this modern westernized mindset that we're just going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're just going to be strong and work harder. We just need to, to be a good soldier and, and go out and make it happen on ourselves. And if, if anything's going to happen, it's because my work and my effort and my ingenuity. And it's okay to be educated and to work hard and do all those things. But can I tell you, you really are not your provision. God is your provider. And in worship, what we're saying is, God, all of the assurances that I have, that I have given myself, that I have made for myself, all the things which I have added to my life, these things really are not my provision. You are my provider. And that happens in worship, in the workable structure of our lives. Number two, worship nurtures our need to be in relationship with God. Our need to be in relationship with God. Listen, you don't have to worship God. You don't have to. God said, if you won't worship me, that's okay. I'll let the rocks cry out. God God is not at a shortage of worshipers. He has given us the privilege to worship him. And can I tell you another thing? You were created to worship him. That's what you were made for. That's what you were designed for. That's why we live in a world where people are just trying it door after door after door. They don't know what they're going to do with their lives. They don't know what to do next. They, they just all the time trying things. It's because they've never tapped in to the potential which God created them for, which is first and foremost that worship. It is your acceptable worship to offer yourself to God. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. It is your need to be in relationship with God. Here's the gospel message. When we sin and mess up in our lives, we find that God doesn't go away and leave us. He doesn't abandon us or cast us out. When we sin and we mess up, God comes to camp out. He gets right in the middle of our mess and he says, I'm gonna walk you through this. Come hell or high water, I'm gonna be right there with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You are never alone. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is not based on our feelings. Sometimes I don't feel very spiritual. Can I get an amen? A grandma should say amen. And she called you children too. I just want you to know that. Sometimes I don't feel very spiritual. Well, but you're a pastor. Yeah, but you need to set that aside because in God's word, there's a whole lot of people put on a pedestal. They, they didn't deserve to be there. And I don't either. Because I'm just doing this life like you are. I'm just a pilgrim passing through just like you. Sometimes I don't feel real super spiritual. I was remembering back just about two years ago, Pastor Noah and I, we, we were down at Ikea and we were getting some things for a new room we were, we were putting together. This guy loves to build stuff, all the time creating a new room. If he's not painting or building or, or remodeling, I mean, he's just not, not doing enough. He's always doing something. So he had me down at Ikea, and we're getting some furniture, and we'd, we'd just gone through there. We finally found the checkout. That's a hard place to find a checkout line, but we finally found the checkout, and we're looking, and, and so I said, hey, you jump in that line. I'm going to jump in this line, and we'll see which one gets through first, and so we're jockeying line to line, and you know, I never choose the right line. Just ask Holly. I never choose the right line, so I thought I'm going to double my opportunity here. I'm going to put Noah in one line, so we're doing this, and as soon as we get to be the next person in line, I said, come on over, and I had him jump in my line, and the lady behind us she said, oh, no, 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 no. I looked back. She said, I've been standing here in this line because it was moving faster. You guys are not about to cut line like that. And I'm thinking, lady, this ain't King's Island. You're not throwing me out of the pot for, for cutting line. You know, I really wanted to give her a retort. You know, I want to tell her what I thought about her. And as soon as I just got ready to do that, two things came to mind. Your youth pastor is with you. And you've got a new freedom logo on your shirt. I know why most of you don't want to put that new Freedom logo on the back of your car. I get behind you sometimes. And sometimes you get past me really fast. And you don't want that road rage. <laughs> People call you, one of your members cut me off. I didn't feel particularly spiritual that day. And I wanted to give that lady a piece of my mind. But because Noah was there and he's, you know, in training, I took the high road and I said, well, ma'am, how about we do this? Why don't you just go in front of us and we'll just, we'll wait. And she looked at me so odd and so funny and okay. And she pushed her card up there and she went, she went ahead and paid. You know, I'm feeling real good at that point. You know, my, probably my chest, see what I did there, Noah. You know, and she looks back to us after it was all done and she's real kind of curt about it. She said, 
Thank you so much for letting me go in front of you. I was really trying to hurry to get back because my husband, you see, he's on oxygen. He's out in the car, and I'm really trying to get out to him real fast. And, man, I tell you what, like hot coals on my belly. The Lord's like, see there, you're impatient, you're impetuous. You wanted to hurry. You thought you were going to choose a line. And get. See, I don't always feel spiritual, but here's what I do know, that godly actions will precede godly feelings. Sometimes you just got to act godly, and then the feelings will come. Sometimes in worship, you may not like the song. I don't, they didn't do my song again. He, the preacher hasn't preached out Old Testament forever. They didn't do that. I, nobody greeted me at the door. You may not always feel like church is working for you, but you need to push on and go anyway. Why? Because we are imperfect people serving a perfect God, and we're going to get it wrong a lot of the times, but I can tell you, God's pleased when we're patient and we say, Lord, use me. It's an old spiritual we used to sing, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Somebody say, well, the church isn't perfect. Well, neither is your sanctuary yet. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars. Come on, I'll sing to you if you don't sing with me. Heaven and earth. Jupiter and Mars, how loving and patient he must be. Why? He's still working on me. See, it's like those old songs when you hear them in children's church or you hear them on the radio in the 1990s, you just can't shake them. And these songs of ascent, these pilgrims got it so embedded in their heart because they were headed to the house of God. Psalm 122 is about a man that's decided he got up. He said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I get to worship again. I get another opportunity to praise him. I can go and I can gather with the people of God again. I can gather around the things of God. I can worship God again. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let me tell you about a a true worshiper. A true worshiper is virtually unaffected by the environment, by the song selection, whether it's light, whether it's dark, whether it's hot, whether it's cold, whether it's fast, whether it's slow, a true worshiper has determined that they are going to go to the house of God, not for what they can get out of it, but what they can contribute and give to their God. Because a true disciple of Jesus, here's when you know you have reached a level of discipleship that maturity has taken root in your life is that you will become a self-feeder. You will have already worshipped Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You have already prayed unto God. You have already put something in the tank. And when you come to God, now you come to just give unto the Lord. Whether that's in your service, whether that's encouraging somebody else. A true disciple, a mature believer, is virtually unaffected by all the other stuff. Because they have been self-feeding because they have been in communion and relationship with God. Put it like this. How many of you, unless you're fasting, only had one meal? Don't raise your hand. You only had one meal this week physically to eat. No, we have three or more a day. And when you are a disciple of Jesus and you're self-feeding, what's happening is that you desire that drink of cold water from the word. You desire that time of communion and fellowship with God. I, you can ask our team here, anybody who, who works with me, you can ask them, I jealously guard my morning hours because I have learned that by the time I drop my kids off to school, I can get more done in, in two hours from 7.30 to 9.30 than all the rest of the day. I very seldom ever take a breakfast meeting. I very seldom ever schedule something in the morning time. Why? Because that's the time that I get alone with Jesus. That's the time that I'm alone with the Lord. Now, I'm not telling you I always spend two hours. I'm not that super spiritual, okay? But even if it's just 15 minutes, even if it's just settling for a moment in that word, there is a structure to this thing. There is a need for the relationship with God. And thirdly, worship centers our attention on the decisions of God. That's what worship does. It centers our attention on the decisions of God. You know, there's a whole lot of things God's already decided. That's why we have his will. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, then read the will. It's in Old Testament and New Testament is the will of God right here. But we have the decisions of God. It says, for thrones are set for judgment, the thrones of uh, the house of David, verse five, pray for the peace of Jerusalem that they may prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. Thrones are a place 
where orders are given. Orders are given from a throne. King makes an edict and he puts it out from his throne. And so when you get before the throne of God, you get the order on the matter. Peace is something that we all, I, I, I stress, emphasize, every one of us want peace. Yet every one of us live in a world of chaos and disharmony and disunity. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. God's kingdom has not fully consummated what was initiated at the resurrection. And so what we have is this tension between his will be done, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we want this peace, but it is so evasive, isn't it? The peace that passes understanding is so evasive. But that's what we're after. Well, it says here that we should pray for peace. It's internal. It's on the inside, this peace and prosperity. Now, when you and I, through the lens of 21st century westernized culture, hear the word prosperity, some of the things that immediately come to our mind are good insurance policy, good job, money in the bank, savings, retirement, I live in a nice home, good car, lots of friends, I am prosperous. That's what we think. That's what we've been conditioned through advertising to believe. But according to God's word, it's different. Because peace is this. Let me just define it for you. Peace is wholeness in life resulting from God's will being complete. So when God's will is being complete in you, you're at peace. Regardless of what happens out there, if God's will is being done in here, you can be at peace. Prosperity, look at this. Prosperity, the root meaning of this word in the Hebrew is leisure, which is a relaxed stance of knowing everything is all right because God is over us. Leisure is knowing everything is all right because God is over us. Peace and prosperity is what we are all really searching after. Our kingdom heart desires peace and prosperity. You find somebody who's always in conflict, always in turmoil, they're always fighting with somebody else. They're really searching for peace. They're doing it the wrong way because they're putting their agenda in front of the other person's agenda, and they're getting conflict. If they would just surrender that to Jesus, who laid down all of his attributes to come and humble himself like a man and walked on this earth, if we would just surrender to Jesus, then we can walk in peace and prosperity. But I want to show you a picture of what peace and prosperity really looks like, okay? This is just a glimpse. That is what peace and prosperity really look like. We have a golden doodle. That's not my dog, but we have a golden doodle. And Melody is 65-pound bouncing pony all throughout our house. You knock on the door, and her bark is so big, she will scare off anybody from the door. But as soon as she gets in and licks your hand, you're her best friend. And as soon as she can smell that you're not an intruder and you're welcome in the family, she will go circle the living room, and she will lay right smack down in the middle of the conversation with peace and leisure. Why? Because she knows that there are four masters in that home, that as soon as she barks, it might be me, it may be Holly, it could be Carson or Caden, somebody's filling the water bowl, somebody's filling the, the, the dog dish, somebody's going to give her food, somebody's going to let her out. She is completely at ease, peace, and leisure because someone else is going to take care of it. A dog's life. Sometimes I walk past, I say, Boy, it'd be nice to have a dog's life. And then I start thinking about the same meal every single day and just water. And I'm like, eh, maybe not dog's life. Maybe I'll pass. But can I share just a nugget of truth here as I, as I get ready to close? You and I are really not that much different in context as that picture of those dogs. In the fact that we have a master who knows every need that we have. The scripture says it like this. We have a high priest who was tempted in all points as we are, yet he was without sin. That he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You ever have some infirm feelings? You ever have some, some just fears or doubts, some questions? It's okay to question. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to have fears just as long as you take them to the right place and surrender them to Jesus. Because until you surrender to Jesus, you will never have peace and you will never experience 
prosperity the way God wants you to prosper. You can have all the money in Lebanon 45036 and not have peace. You can have all the greatest friends in this county that mean you're prosperous. Because when I look at that cross, there are two elements of that cross that cannot be escaped. That cross is just made up of two members. It's a vertical member and it's a horizontal member. The vertical member speaks to our relationship with the divine. It's earth touching heaven as heaven touches earth. It says we get this vertical relationship in the right condition. As we get our lives aligned with God's intention, we worship. And you will never ever experience the peace of God until you first have made peace with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. How do you do it? You simply admit that you can't fix your problem on your own. You're not equipped with the right answers. You can't fix it on your own. You've tried. You failed. You admit that. God, I can't fix it. And you believe that what Jesus did on that cross was enough to secure your full payment of sin debt now and forever. And then you commit your life to him. You just say, yes, I commit. I commit my life to you, God. That's how you make the vertical right. But there's another element of that cross and it's the horizontal. It's our relationship with one another. The Bible says it like this. How can you say that you love God whom you've never seen if you hate your brother or your sister whom you have seen? You see, a lot of us have an okay time dealing with this. Okay, spiritually, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna confess it. I'm gonna get it right. But we got a real hard time dealing with this because people, people will test you. People will try you. People argue with you. People fight. People will disagree with you, even if you're the preacher. Can you imagine that? People cause us heartache and heartbreak. And you know what? You're one of them because you've caused some people some heartbreak and some heartache. And when, here, here's what I know. When you get this right, this will get right because this gets changed. Sometimes getting this right is simply saying you're sorry when you don't even really feel like you did anything wrong. But because you love the relationship enough to preserve it, then you say, please forgive me. Please, whatever it is, I don't want it to come between. We're, we're brothers or sisters, we're family, we're cousins. We got dedicated together. We've walked life together. We've been through some thick problems together, some, some high waters together. Please, let's get this right so we can get this right. With heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking around, this is between you and God. I wanna ask, how is it between you and Jesus? How is the vertical of your life going today? Before you start to try to fix that horizontal, take care of that vertical. You say, preacher, I gave my life to Jesus years ago. That's okay. That's good. But build on that. How long has it been? How long? Since you've had a little talk with Jesus. You know, you can tell him all about your troubles and he makes things all right. Makes it all right. Feel the spirit of God right now coming up and down every row. God's touching hearts this morning. God's changing lives, changing minds, changing hearts, broken hearts being healed, bodies that are broken being put back together. Thank you, God, for doing what you do the best. <laughs> Thank you that you're for us and not against us. You may be in this room and you're far from God, but you somehow, strangely, you have felt different when you came in here through the song, through the word, just something's different. That's the spirit of God warming your heart. And here's what he's asking you today. Will you surrender? Will you say yes? I'm not gonna make you come up here. I'm not gonna make you get out of your seat. But I am gonna ask you this. It's an act of your will. Will you say yes to Jesus today? Will you say yes to Jesus? I'm gonna, ask, I'm gonna ask you to do this. Raise your hand and take it right back down. I'm gonna say yes to Jesus today. One, two, three, four. Yes to Jesus. Anyone else? Amen. God bless you and you. Last chance. Anyone? I'm gonna say yes to Jesus today. Heads are bowed. Amen. Father, I thank you for your sweet presence. I thank you for your mercy and your grace. That you loved us while we were yet unlovable. 
that you forgave us while we were in the depths of our degradation and sin. And that even after we said yes to you and we slip and we fall and we mess up and we're filled with shame and regret, that you dust us off and you set us on the path again and you still call us your child. Thank you, God, for second chances and third and fourth and fifth. Oh, thank you, God, for a hundredth chances. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you. For every person that raised their hand and for those that wanted to, I just pray that they would acknowledge you with yes this day. And now, God, I pray for those that have come in here with hurting hearts, those that are carrying burdens, trials, and tribulation. Lighten their load, Lord. Lift their spirit. Let them feel your presence afresh and anew. It's in Jesus' name. All God's people said amen and amen. Listen, if you raise your hand, if you said yes to Jesus today, we have a a gift for you. Uh, Besides the the t-shirt we want to give you, we have a gift in the back. It's just a simple book. It's Gospel of John. Uh, Real easy read. It'll get you started on your first steps. And you need to tell somebody. Tell somebody that you made that decision. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. Tell somebody that this was your day. Tell me, tell, tell someone on our team. We'd love to hear that. Let's all stand together. Listen, if you came prepared to give, uh, we only can do weekly what we do because of the generosity of people just like you who give to us. And so uh, give to the work of the Lord. There, there are m- multiple ways to give. Can we get that slide up there so we can see there's, there's a text to give. Um, you, can, you can give online. Uh, you can give by the envelope that's in your bulletin. Any of the, uh, what's that? <laughs> Okay, any of the uh, boxes around the building, you can do that. We love you. We appreciate you. God bless you. We'll see you back next week.